Well, last week we started a series of four sermons for January looking at prayers in the Bible. Do you remember which prayer we looked at last week? Lord's Prayer, yeah. Um, And so uh, last week we saw that um, in teaching the disciples how to pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus wasn't giving a formula for how to win God over so that we get what we want out of him. It was a, a, a way of... You see, God doesn't, God doesn't need us to tell him everything that's going on. He knows it already. The things that we've prayed for each other in our pastoral prayers this morning were not because God didn't know what's been going on during this week. It was about us reaffirming our relationship of worshipper to God. It was about us being reminded that we need him. We need him to be our God. And so we bring the things that are on our hearts to him and hand them to him so that we learn how to trust him better. And it builds our faith because the more times we see God actually answer those prayers, it reaffirms that he is faithful, he is trustworthy, he is compassionate, he is merciful. He loves his people. That's why we pray. And so this week we're looking at something very different. Last week, although it was called the Lord's Prayer, it was not a prayer that Jesus actually is recorded as praying. It was for the disciples. It was for us. This week, it is a prayer that Jesus prayed. And it was an important prayer because it was the one he prayed just before he was going to the cross. It was like in that poignant moment where you know what's about to come. And you, he was alone with his God, with his Father. And so the things that he prayed were the most important things in his heart. Because he knew that things were going to be very different from the moment he got up from that prayer. And so as I, as I sort of came along to this, this passage, I came to it thinking, I know what this is going to be about. In fact, I chose it because I, th- I thought I knew I thought I knew where this was going. And um, I, I could see in that passage from what I had read in it and been taught about it that it was a priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. It was a prayer of intercession that he did for his disciples and for his followers. And so I'm, I chose it thinking, what better way to start the year than to remind people that Jesus prayed for them and that he has an ongoing role of interceding for us with the Father. But that's not where we went. Um, I liked that idea and I, I, I think it, it, it's, it's in there, it's still there. But the more I studied this, this prayer... And the more I read what other commentators had written about it, the more I was being told, shift what you're doing and where you're thinking. And that in itself is an important thing for us in understanding this prayer. Because it's very easy for us to think we know what is going on in the world. To think we know what God means when we read the passages of scripture that we do. 
It's easy for us to go, that passage is about this. There we go, I know it, I've got a bow around it, I don't, I don't need to worry about that passage of scripture anymore, I know what it means. But the Bible is called a living word because, not, not because it changes, it definitely doesn't. Okay, The Bible does not change its meaning, God does not change who he is. But as we grow, we are shown things by the Spirit that is already in Scripture that we weren't ready to learn, we weren't ready to see beforehand. And so that this is a, it's a living word because it is a conversation of the teacher teaching us, which means that we need to actually remain teachable. If I had approached this sermon and said, no, This is what I am making of it. I would have been doing an injustice to what the Spirit was trying to teach me. And so I'm inviting you to be teachable. I'm inviting you to recognise that Scripture does not agree with you. That's not its job. In fact, Scripture will always challenge you. It will upset your understanding of things. It will stretch you to take on new ways of looking at God and the people around you. If it's not doing that, I wonder whether it's because somewhere in here we've become unteachable. Have we got... Let's go. It's not working. Go, Misha. There it is. We're even told in Scripture that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's fantastic because it means that I can pick up Scripture and use it on you. Right? No. No. That's not what it's saying. But that's often the way we use it, isn't it? If scripture doesn't first teach and change and stretch this heart, it's never going to do the same for you. And so the same goes for you. If scripture doesn't challenge and upset your apple cart from time to time, then... It's something to be concerned about. So let's have a look at this prayer and see where we go with it. This prayer is in three parts. Um, Firstly, we, we see Jesus is praying for himself and about himself. It's about his coming moments. It's about what this next event is going to do in him and through him. Secondly, he prays for the apostles. They were his disciples and once they were um, given the spirit and went out to teach, they became apostles. And so he prays specifically for the apostles, for what they are about to do, for for the way that their whole world is about to change. And finally, he does pray for you. He prays for the church in the world, which is you and me and all the people sitting around you.
There's three parts to his prayer. But all the way through, the focal part, the focal centre of his prayer has to do... This isn't working again. Can you just flick forward, Misha? The focal part of his prayer is centred on this concept of glory. He prays in verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And so our understanding of this prayer is going to hang on our understanding of this first verse because it runs all the way through this prayer. What did Jesus mean when he asked for the Father to glorify him? Understanding what Jesus meant by glory is the key to understanding this whole prayer. Because his understanding and his way of using that word is very different to the way that we would use it. I think if we were using the word glory, it would be because we chase vainglory. We chase glorification of ourselves. We're always in competition with each other. And we're always playing a little bit of one-upmanship. And so for us, glory is about being the winner. There's glory in being victorious, isn't there? And so our understanding of glory is about Jesus, could possibly be about Jesus praying, I want to be the winner here, so I want you to make sure I win, I succeed, so that I get the glory. I am the glorious, victorious one. But that's not what he was after. See, the key to reading people correctly is understanding them as a person because when we get to know a person, we understand where they're coming from and we get to read them properly. How many times have you misread somebody? I know I've done it so many times where you think you know someone and so you read into them and what they're doing or what they're saying what you would be saying or what you would be thinking. But they're coming from somewhere completely different because they're a different person with different experiences and a different childhood. And what they mean is something completely different to what you think they mean. But we end up reading ourselves into people. When we get to know them better, we understand how they think and how they work because we understand them and know them as a person. And so our understanding of what they're saying is much clearer. Is it possible Jesus was wanting vindication? Is it possible that he copped so much criticism from the Pharisees and everyone mounting, ganging up against him and he, he, he knew that he was right? He knew what the Father meant in all of these things, and yet the Pharisees were just coming at him time and time again. Was this glory, was it about, see, I was right. But that would be us again, wouldn't it? That would be us reading ourselves into him. Because for God, glory means something different. Let me take us back to uh, a time when Moses asked to see the glory of God. In Exodus 33, we read about a conversation that Moses had with God. 
And uh, because of the behaviour of the people of Israel, showing that they didn't trust God when they should have. I mean, he had just rescued them out of Egypt, parted the sea and made a safe way through for them. He had just knocked off the people that were pursuing them, Pharaoh's army, and brought them to Mount Sinai. And Moses went up the, the mount to receive the Ten Commandments. And what did they do? Well, this is taking too long. Let's build something to worship. And God said to them, because of their behaviour, showing that they didn't trust him, God commanded them to make their way to the promised land because he's faithful to his word. He was still going to give them what he had promised them. But he said, I'm not going with you. You're going to do this on your own because that's what you want. If you're going to turn your back on me after I've just done all of this for you, then you go on your own because that's what you must want. He said to, to Moses, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. But you see, Moses came back to God and he pleaded on behalf of the people. He pleaded repentance. He said, I can, we, as a people, we see what we have done to offend you. Give us another chance. Moses said to him, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. That was the humility that God was trying to teach Moses as the leader of those people. It wasn't that Moses struck the final, the, the right combination of things to change God's mind. This was a teaching moment. This was a parenting moment where God was saying, okay, if you want to go on your own, then you go on your own. But when he saw that the lesson that he was teaching them had been learned, he said, ah, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. See how quick God was to embrace his people when they showed repentance? As soon as they demonstrated that they wanted to follow God and understood that he is God, not them, there was no debate. God was being a good parent. God never stopped loving them, but he did discipline them to teach them and to grow their faith and trust in him. That's why it's so important for us to remain teachable. The main avenue of communication between us and God, the primary method that he uses to open up his heart to us is the Bible. If we close our minds to the possibility that we might have got something wrong or that our understanding of the Bible uh, can possibly change, then we demonstrate the same stiff-necked character that they did. See, the Bible is called a living word because reading it 
is like getting to know a friend more deeply. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our minds as we read it to shine light onto the words as our spiritual maturity and faith is ready to grow. School teachers know that children aren't ready to learn everything that they need to know the day they start school. They're not emotionally ready. They're not intellectually ready to learn the concepts that they learn in high school when they are six. So teachers build a scaffold of knowledge that leads them into readiness bit by bit. And every child learns at a different rate. That's the way God created us to be. So it makes sense that our creator would teach us in harmony with the way that he designed us, right? Which is why scripture seems to have layers like an onion. And the more you delve into it, the more of God you see. You can read a passage of scripture tomorrow and not see in it what you saw today. doesn't mean it wasn't there. It means you didn't see it because you weren't ready for it. And the Spirit didn't shine light onto that. And you don't need me to be able to do that. In the kids' talk, I made mention of the fact that it's my job to get in tune with God and for every, to get everybody here in tune. That, I wasn't meaning that uh, we should go back to the pre-Reformation days where our, our relationship with God was mediated through the priests. All right, that's the Old Testament stuff. That's, that's done away with, with Christ. Okay, I do not relate to God on your behalf. But as a shepherd under the big shepherd, it's my task to open up God's word each Sunday and to show you what God has shown me. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm trying to do right now. When Moses demonstrated that the people were ready, that they'd learned what they needed to know, God moved forward with them, which is when Moses asked to see his glory. He said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said... You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. In asking to see God's glory, Moses was asking God to show him himself to him. Moses had said, I need to know you. If I'm going to lead these people through the desert, I need to know you better. So show me your glory. Show me who you are. Teach me to understand your heart. And then I can lead people in a way that leads them the way you would do it. You see, seeing God's glory is about seeing who God is. It's about God revealing himself to Moses. God's glory is never assigned to him by us. It's revealed to us in different ways so that we're provoked into worshipping who, who he is. Jesus wasn't asking for glory to be given to him because he 
already had that at the beginning of the world. He had left his throne in heaven. He, he, he prayed for the glory that he had then to be given so that people could see who he really was. That's what he was praying for. Not for God to reveal himself to Jesus, but for the world to see who Jesus really is. The glorification of Jesus was about God revealing to the world who this man Jesus really was. He's the son of God. He's the word who was at the beginning. John wrote this. Let's go, Misha. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That word, that logos, John reveals later on, is Jesus Christ. He's the one who created So Jesus is saying, show people that. Show them who I am. And he had a reason for that. You see, the only way that John could actually know that that what he wrote in that passage, the only way he could know that was if Jesus' prayer in chapter 17 had been answered. The only way John could know that Jesus Christ, the man, was the word who was there at the beginning was if God had answered Jesus' prayer to glorify him, to reveal who he is. Jesus is the son of God who has always existed as part of the trinity of God. He wasn't created by God when Jesus was born, although the man Jesus only came into existence then, the human. He was the one who'd acted to create the world and everything in it. Jesus was God come in human form. Think of it like this. The Son of God, there at the beginning, Intimately part of God. Perhaps interacting with humanity in different ways throughout what we read as the the Old Testament. But when the time was right for the Messiah to come, that pre-existing Son of God was born into human form. The man, Jesus Christ, did not exist in eternity. The Son of God did. This is heavy stuff and it's going to break your head, I know. The Son of God pre-existed. The man, Jesus Christ, was born. And so he was fully God and fully man. And when Jesus Christ prayed that I want people to see who I really am. It was because he knew what he was about to do. He always had known where he was headed. He was going to the cross. And when he ascended into heaven, 
He was the firstborn human to be resurrected. He took humanity into God's presence for the first time. God the Son came to earth, collected humanity and took it on himself. Took it to the cross and then took it into God's presence as the firstborn from among the dead. That's big. So Jesus' prayer, let's go to the next one, Misha. Jesus' prayer for himself was not a selfish prayer. It was not about the part, the, 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 him wanting glory for himself. It was the last piece of the puzzle finally being put in place for humanity. It was about God finishing the story of the gospel so that people can be saved. You see, understanding who Jesus is, that he is the son of God who pre-existed Jesus, who was there at the beginning, that is key to understanding the significance of what he was about to do on the cross. You see, without accepting who Jesus is, we can never believe that the one who will judge us for our sins came to earth to pay the cost for our sins. If we don't believe that Jesus Christ, the man, is also the Son of God, fully God, then we're believing a different gospel. And that's one that won't save us. Without accepting who Jesus is, we can never believe the full gospel. We cannot be saved without knowing him. If Jesus had stopped short of dying on the cross, he would have revealed to the world that there was a level of love that God just is not prepared to go to in saving us. And that changes the character of God. But by revealing who he is, by praying, Father, glorify me, show these people who I really am, we see that the creator of the universe died on a cross for me when I don't deserve it. God did that. Seeing that he was prepared how far he was prepared to go, seeing what he was prepared to go through, all the physical torture, the emotional pain, the abandonment, the, the, the spiritual torment of having his father turn his face away from him, that reveals the character of God because God is a merciful God. God is a God of compassion. God is a God who saves his people despite their unfaithfulness. And so when Jesus prayed that he is glorified, when he is revealed to be the Son of God, it was for the glory of God. Because we get to know our God through Jesus, through knowing that the Son of God went to the cross for us. Seeing the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ should provoke us to a, a deeper level of worship for God. It should overwhelm our hearts. It should motivate us to strive to love God with all our heart and our mind and our strength in response to the overwhelming love that he's revealed to us. 
That's what Jesus prayed for you. He wanted you to see who he really is so that you'd catch a glimpse of the glory of God the way Moses did. He wanted to open up more of himself to you so that you'd be drawn more deeply into relationship with him. And that's something that he revealed to his apostles, to his disciples during the three years that he spent walking and teaching them. He called them to follow him because he was the Messiah, the promised one who would save everyone. But at that point, they were looking for a political saviour, someone to overpower Rome and bring Israel back to glory. While he was with them, he taught the heart of the Father to them. He taught them how to understand the scriptures correctly rather than in the warped way that the Pharisees were teaching it. He revealed who he is to them and gave them what was needed for them to understand the gospel, to understand what he was doing and to preach that to the world so that the wildfire spread of God's kingdom would establish what we now know as the modern church. In verse 7, he prayed, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Praying about his apostles. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. Jesus knew his mission on earth was nearly finished. He knew that the apostles knew what they needed in order to continue that mission, in order to communicate the significance of what he was about to do on the cross. And so he prayed in verse 12, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, talking about Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. See, this is what weighed on the mind of Jesus while he'd been teaching those men for three years, keeping them safe, protecting them, handing over to them everything that they needed to know about himself so that they could pick up the mission and carry it on in the world. It's such an important mission. The eternal lives of so many people hung on what those 12 men we're going to do with it. We say 12 because Paul became an apostle later on. They would stay behind to preach the words of Jesus. And so in verse 14, he prayed, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And get this, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. That is a statement of conviction that Jesus is saying, I consecrate myself, I dedicate my whole being to fulfilling what they need in order to be sanctified. 
Jesus is saying, I know what's coming on the cross and I will not shy away from it. I will see this through. I will give it all of myself so that they will be sanctified. They can be cleaned and made holy and set apart as God's people. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's what was on his heart the night before he went to the cross. Jesus prayed knowing that those men would suffer greatly for the mission that they'd been given. Each of them was persecuted, many of them suffering horrific deaths because they were hated in the same way that Jesus was hated. His prayer for them was not that they would be released from any of that, just as he'd steeled himself for what was coming on the cross. He didn't ask for release from that for another way. His prayer for them was not that they would be released, but that they would be sanctified, that they would be made more holy by growing to become more like him, that they would walk in his footsteps and be treated the same as him. It's a journey that would begin with being saved by Jesus' death and resurrection. And so for their sake, Jesus steeled himself for what was about to come. He dedicated his life to going all the way so that the full glory of God would be revealed through what he did to save us. He didn't stop short. Does that do anything in your heart this morning? It should. Every glimpse that we get of God's glory, every time he reveals a bit more of himself, it should provoke us to respond in worship. It should inspire us to want to devote more of our lives, more of ourselves to serving him, to becoming like him. And that's exactly where Jesus goes next in his prayer. In verse 20, he prayed, I do not ask for these only, for the apostles only. I'm not just praying about myself and for the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. See, Jesus knew that those 12 men were not going to live to see the end of their mission. Their part was to continue what Jesus had begun. Their lives were to reveal the glory of Jesus by demonstrating his character and preaching his words to the world. But today, the glory of the Son of God is to be shown through his church. That's the Great Commission. It was first, God's glory was first seen in heaven and it was revealed to people like Moses. And then it was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, who was followed by the apostles. And today the role of revealing God's glory has been given to his church. So how well do you think we're doing? Do you think we're hitting the mark? Are we showing the world Jesus? Or are they seeing us? So how do we get better at this? Because 
I, for one, want to keep growing more like Jesus because I want to keep seeing more of his glory so I can worship him more deeply and more devotedly and, and demonstrate who he is through me in a better way. How do we do that? How do we get in tune with Jesus? Because revealing Jesus to the world is done through our lives being in harmony with each other. It's done through us becoming one, despite the differences between us. It's done through us having unity, the way the apostles did. Every gospel they wrote, every letter they wrote to the churches works in harmony with all of the other things that they wrote. Because they were all in tune with Jesus. They were all governed and led by the Holy Spirit. So, Misha, next one. So, how much we allow the knowledge of Jesus to fill our being will determine how much new life springs out of us. The effectiveness, how good we are at fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given us, how good we are, how useful we are at being used by God the Father to answer the prayer that Jesus prayed depends on how much we hand over ourselves to Jesus. We must look long and intently at Jesus in the scriptures. And we must strive to understand what he revealed about the Father's heart so that we become more like him. Now that's a journey that we do individually. But it's also something that we do together. You see, each of us has to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth and do something about it for ourselves. But we also aren't meant to do it in isolation. Christians are not engaging fully in the mission that Jesus was praying about if we try to do it without being part of a church community. It's the church that is called the body of Christ. It's tempting for us to think that we don't need to be part of a church in order to be saved, and technically that's correct. There's nothing that we do that has any part of saving us. Being part of a church doesn't determine whether you are saved. Jesus does. But by thinking that we don't need the church in order to be Christian, we're checking out of being part of God's fulfilment of Jesus' prayer. Because Jesus prayed, the glory you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as, loved them even as you loved me. We can't do that if we're individually on our own. Not well. Because it has a lot to do with how we relate with each other. It has a lot to do with how we love each other that reveals the glory of Jesus and points to the glory of God. How can any of us reveal the glory of Jesus to the world if we go it alone? 
Jesus is revealed when his people become one. What if Jesus had said I didn't, that he didn't want to go through what was coming on the cross? He didn't like that as a choice, as an option, and so he would choose a different way. doesn't work. What if he'd stopped short? He would not have revealed the glory of God as being a God who is prepared to go to all measures to save his people. Jesus' prayer can only be revealed through each Christian who individually strives to become more like him, individually pursues their spiritual growth, and then who comes together. Let's go to the, we got that. Who comes together with other Christians to pursue unity with them. Because that reveals a fuller picture of who God is. When I strive to become more like Jesus myself, at the same time, I come to be in unity with every other person who's striving to do the same thing. By becoming in tune with Jesus, I, turn, I become in tune with the same people around me who are doing the same thing. That's how we get better at this. When I strive to become like Jesus, I will, we will, all of us will become more like him. And that reveals the glory of Jesus to this world. Would you pray with me, please? Father, these are difficult things that we've been talking about this morning, hard things for us to get our heads around, challenging things that stretch our boundaries, what we are comfortable doing. And yet, nowhere in your scripture did you ever promise that we would not be uncomfortable. And so we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts to challenge us and stretch us, to keep us teachable. Help us, Father, to keep submitting to you by submitting to Jesus as we see him in the scriptures. Help us to see his glory so that we understand you better. In Jesus' name, amen.